Well, good morning, everybody. It is really good to be here with you today. I got to tell you, I have been excited and looking forward to this weekend all the way since last fall when we decided first as a staff that we were going to, over these next 16 weeks, as Dan said, really between now and the end of August, study the book of Romans together. And uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like in just a minute. But first of all, re- we really want to encourage you to have Bibles with you in worship for this series. Now, you can do that a lot of different ways. If you've got it in your phone or uh, a tablet or whatever that is, if you've got an electronic version, that's great. If you have an analog version of the Bible, you know, like a book, you know, you could actually... You can actually bring that with you to worship as well. In fact, we'd encourage you to do that. Um, If you need a Bible this morning, uh, we have a bunch of Bibles in the back. And uh, can I, we have a few ushers around in the back there, maybe, that uh, if you've, if you need a Bible, uh, just stick your hand up in the air and they'll make sure they get you one of our Bibles this morning that you can use. Uh, I see a couple of hands going up. So if you guys could get some of those Bibles around, that would be great. But, uh, but, but literally, we want you to have your Bible with you uh, so that you can just get your nose in that Bible during the messages um, over these next months as we study the book of Romans together. Now, um, now, while they're continuing to get some Bibles around, I want to share a quote with you from Martin Luther about the book of Romans. This is why we're studying this book together. Luther said this, he said, this letter is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is a bright light, almost sufficient to illuminate the entire Holy Scriptures. In other words, what, what Luther was saying was, if you don't understand the book of Romans, you really can't understand the message of all of Scripture, and vice versa. If you know the book of Romans, if you understand it, it opens up the whole Bible to you in a new way. And, and so that's why we're studying this book together. By the way, the, Luther went on for a while about the book of Romans in this quote. And one of the things that Luther said is that he believed every single Christian, every follower of Jesus, should memorize the whole book of Romans word for word. So we're challenging you to do, no, I'm kidding, we're not, we're not going to do that. But, uh, but, but, but seriously, Luther thought it was that important a book, and he was really, really focused on helping people understand the gospel through this book of Romans. Now, now let me tell you just a little bit more about the book. First of all, again, we're going to be studying the whole thing in order. We're going to start this morning in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through in August, chapter 16, the very last verse. We're going to just work our way through the whole book. Um, Each week, we're going to let you know what chunk we're going to look at together. And, and so there are bookmarks that you were given when you came in today, or if you didn't get one, you can get one as you go out, that, that have every single week the date, what chunk of the, of the book of Romans we're going to be studying together, and kind of what the key verses are in that section, and, and, and what we kind of see as Paul's theme for that section. So um, I'd encourage you, the week before you come to worship, look at what we're going to be studying, read it through a few times, start to get familiar with it, so when we study it together, you're ready to go. We're going to be doing a different kind of preaching than we normally do during these next four months. Normally what we do is we, we take a verse of scripture, we, we, we figure out a theme from that verse, or we take a theme that we know is relevant in people's lives, and then we look throughout the whole Bible to say, what does the Bible say about this? What are, what are some verses, and wherever they show up in scripture, that talk about this theme that we need to look at together? And that's how we put a message together. But we're not going to do that during this series. Instead, we're just going to take whatever chunk it is from the book of Romans, and we're going to say, what is Paul teaching here? And there may be one or two or three themes 
uh, that week or more in that section. And, and uh, we aren't going to generally go to a lot of other places in Scripture because we're just going to say, what did Paul have to say here in Romans, and what can we learn from that together? So a little different style of preaching that you're going to see over these months. Um, and then finally, again, like I said, bring your Bible and, and bring a pen or use one of ours. We, we encourage you to write in that Bible. Y- yes, the Bible is the inspired Word of God, but it's also a, a human book, and, and feel free to take notes in it. You should see my Bible. It's, it's kind of all marked up, both the electronic version that I can take notes in and my analog Bible as well. You know, they've, uh, And so just want to encourage you to be taking notes. Now, a few things about the book of Romans. First of all, it was written by this guy named Paul, an apostle. He's also known as Saul, Paul, Saul. Both names are used for him in the Bible. And, uh, and he wrote this from a place called Corinth. Corinth is one of the congregations that Paul was a missionary to and helped found. And Paul was actually in Corinth uh, in the years 56 to 57 A.D., Now, Jesus died right around 30 A.D., so that gives you some reference here. We're talking about, you know, about 30 years after Jesus died and rose again and and ascended into heaven. So very quickly, you know, speaking, you know, in long terms, uh, after Jesus was here, Paul writes these words. Now, Paul has been a missionary for 20 years already when he's writing these words. So in other words, Paul isn't uh, new to the faith. He's not trying to just figure stuff out. This is kind of his best thinking after 20 years of ministry uh, that he has for the church in Rome. And he's writing to Rome, and, and it's unique because of all the letters we have from Paul in the New Testament, Romans and First and Second Corinthians written to the church at Corinth, and Ephesians written to the church at Ephesus, and Colossians written to the church at Colossae, and uh, um, uh, Thessalonians written to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, all those are congregations, groups of believers that he founded as a missionary. So Paul went to Thessalonica. There wasn't a church there, and he talked about Jesus, and he helped form the church there. And then he he went to Colossae, and he talked about Jesus, and he helped form the church there. The only one that's not like that is this book of Romans, because the church is already there. Paul's never visited it. Now, we believe the church started when there were Jews who were in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost, and that first Pentecost, they, they, they learned about who Jesus was, And they went back to Rome with that good news about Jesus the Messiah, and they founded that church there in Rome. But Paul's never been there, and so he's writing this letter to a church of people that he's never been to, but he wants to go there. And in fact, he intends to stop there. He's he's kind of done being a missionary through Asia, and now it's the time for him to go to Spain and begin missionary work there, and Rome would be on the way, and so he wants to stop in Rome, and, and we'll hear this morning a little bit about why he wants to do that on his way to be a missionary in Spain. Now, by the way, one more thing to help you understand how this worked. When Paul wrote this letter, he couldn't just drop it in the mailbox, you know, put the flag up and let the post office take it there, right? They didn't have that. So instead, Paul would have given the letter to someone, maybe even dictated it to that person, for for them to then take to Rome. And we know from Romans chapter 16.1 that that person was a woman named Phoebe. Now, now Phoebe was a deacon there in the church at Corinth. It says she was a church at Kencrea, which is the port city there in Corinth. And and so Phoebe was one of the leaders in that church there in Corinth, and Paul dictates this letter probably to her, and then it's her job to take this letter from Paul and take it 
to Rome and read it to the Christians there so that they could hear what Paul had to say to them and then they could study what Paul had to say to them and, and learn from Paul. So uh, this one more detail about this book. And then we know, by the way, that the reason Paul wanted to go to Rome is because God told him to. In Acts chapter 23, uh, uh, Paul has this vision from the Lord, and the Lord says to him, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So God told Paul he was going to make it to Rome and was going to get there. That's one of the reasons he's writing. And by the way, later in Acts chapter 28, we're told Paul did go there. Uh, by the way, he went there a little differently than he expected. He went there under house arrest. And, uh, and, and he actually uh, there was in, uh, arrested and in a house in Rome. Now, we don't think he had an ankle bracelet on, right? But, uh, but he did have guards to make sure he stayed in his house. But we know that during those two years, lots and lots of people came to him, and he was able to freely teach them with boldness and without hindrance, we're told, about the gospel of Jesus there. So, uh, so we know that Paul does make it to Rome eventually. Now, one more fact about what was going on in the church at Rome that you need to understand. We're, we're told that in 49 AD, so just you know, a few years before Paul is writing this letter, uh, there was a problem in Rome between the Jews, and, and we're told in a Roman historian by the name of Suetonius, who wrote the life of Claudius, who was the emperor in those days, that, that Claudius had to expel all the Jews from Rome because they were constantly rioting at the instigation of Crestus. Does that word sound familiar to you at all? L literally, it's the word for Christ, the Latin word for Christ. And so, so what we believe was going on is these Jews come back from Jerusalem with the good news about Jesus. Some of the Jews believed Jesus was the Messiah. Other Jews there in Rome didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And there was arguing and fighting going on between them, so much so that the emperor says, that's it, all you Jews, out of Rome. Kicks them all out. But we know after his death in 54, so now just a few years before Paul is writing, that Claudius died and the Jews were able to come back. But here's what happened. When they came back, they found that the few Gentiles that had been left in the church the church has grown, and it's this huge Gentile church now. And now the Jews are coming back to their own church, and it's full of Gentiles. Think of it this way. It'd be kind of like if we were a church of mostly Cub fans with a few of those Sox fans in the church, you know? And, uh, and oh, no, I, actually, I see Kevin Schrader, our chairman of our governing board over there. Imagine if we were a church full of Bears fans, and there were just a few Packer fans... And all the Bears fans had to leave Chicago for some reason, and the few Packer fans that were left kept finding other Packer fans to believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Bears fans comes back, and it's a congregation full of Packer fans. And now we got to get along together. Might be a little problem, right? Okay. So, so, so that's what was going on in the church in, in, in Rome there. You've got these, this large group of Gentile Christians who have come to believe in Jesus, who have come to think that, of this as their church, and now you've got all these Jews that, well, no, 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 that was our church before we had to leave, and now we're coming back to our church, and now they've got to be together in one church. And so we're going to see again and again throughout the book of Romans, Paul talking to both Jews and Gentiles, or Greeks as he refers to them, uh, often in his letter. So, so we're going to see that in this letter. Okay, without any further ado, let's actually open up our Bibles and get to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to actually come down here this morning as we kind of talk about this uh, together. So Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And by the way, if you're trying to find Romans in the Bible, 
It's going to be near the back. If you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans is next. It's the first one of Paul's letters uh, listed there in the New Testament. So let's take a look. He starts with this. He says, Paul, and, and then he calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Let's talk about that for a minute. First of all, Paul refers to himself as a servant, but honestly, that's not the word he used originally. We've cleaned that word up a little bit there because the word he uses isn't very politically correct these days. Paul literally said that he is a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, now why would he say that? Why would he use such, such a strong word to, to describe himself as a slave? Because there's a, there's a Greek word for servant. He could have called himself a servant. He really doesn't. He calls himself a slave. Well, he's trying to make the point that literally every waking action of his life is dedicated to his mission for Jesus. That, 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 it, that it's just not a nine-to-five job for him. That, that literally every single thing in his life falls under the authority and under the work of Jesus that Jesus has called him to do. His whole life is given to the mission that Jesus has given him. That's why he calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. And then he calls himself an apostle. Now, you need to understand what the word apostle means. Literally, the word means one who is sent. An apostle is a sent one, one who is sent to do something. He's, he's given a mission. So Paul says he is a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, a sent one for Jesus, set apart for this gospel of God. Now, in, in verse 3, he says this. This gospel, he says, is all about concerning his son, God's son. So he's talking about Jesus. And he wants to tell us a little bit about Jesus. So he starts with the idea to make sure that we understand that Jesus was a real human being. He says, descended from David according to the flesh, my translation says. So, so in other words, what he's saying is he wants to remind us that Jesus was a real human being, a descendant of King David. That was important for the Jews, by the way, because David had been their greatest king. And David had been promised by God that his descendants would always sit on the throne of Israel. And they, they thought that was a physical throne. They thought that was an earthly kingdom, but it was really so much more. It was an earthly and a heavenly kingdom. And, and he's reminding them that Jesus is that promised descendant. That, that he is that king to sit on this, this throne that God has established under David. But he wants to remind us that not only is he a human being, but he says, but he was then, and my, my translation says, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So in other words, he says there's something about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that declared him to be the Son of God. Now some translations say ordained to be the Son of God. Uh, some translations say shown to be the Son of God. Uh, some translations even say made to be the Son of God. Now we want to be careful because obviously, was Jesus the Son of God before he rose from the dead? Yes. In fact, we're told in the Bible that he was the Son of God before all time. Before the world was created, he was already there as the Son of God. In fact, in John 1, it says that nothing was created that wasn't created through Jesus. That, that Jesus was there at the moment of creation, already the Son of God. But what Paul is talking about, this idea, is that the resurrection of Jesus proved that not only was he human, but he was also the Son of God as he claimed to be. Now that's really important. See, I know a lot of people these days, um, a couple good friends of mine, who, who say, would say to me, well, Mark, I like Jesus. I think Jesus is kind of cool. You know, I think he taught some really good things, but I don't think he was the son of God. And what Paul is saying here is you can't say that. He, he's saying you, you can't say simply that, that Jesus was a good man. 
Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He was talking about this idea that sometimes people say, well, I think Jesus is a good man, but not the Son of God. He says, a man who was merely a man but said the kind of things Jesus said would either be a lunatic or else would be the devil of hell. In other words, what C.S. Lewis is saying is, you can't just say that Jesus was a good teacher and a nice guy, but he wasn't the Son of God because Jesus claimed he was the Son of God. And he said a lot of stuff that claimed he was the son of God. So, so you either have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, who he was the son of God, or you've got to believe he's a lunatic. He belongs in an asylum somewhere because he was claiming to be the son of God, and he wasn't. C.S. Lewis said, or worse, he's the devil himself. Now, by the way, for a while in his life, Paul believed that Jesus was a lunatic, maybe even the devil himself. That's what Paul believed. He was a Jew and he believed that Jesus was a false Messiah. And, and, and so Paul was actually persecuting Christians. In, in one story, we're told that Paul was on his way to a place called Damascus because he believed that Jesus was a lunatic or the devil of hell, and his followers needed to be arrested and thrown in jail. And then on that road, you know what happened? He saw Jesus. Jesus appeared to him, and he said, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden he realized that Jesus didn't just die on that cross. Paul knew that. He realized he also rose from the dead because he saw him there physically alive. And he realized that Jesus indeed was who he claimed to be. He was the Son of God, and that changed his life. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says either he was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. I challenge every single one of you to know what you believe about Jesus. And if you're here today and you said, well, I've always kind of thought, you know, Jesus was a good guy, but I don't know if I believe he's the son of God, you don't have that option. I mean, to be honest and polite with you, you really do not have the option of saying he was a good guy, but not the son of God. You either have to agree that he was who he said he was, the son of God, or you got to think he's nuts. Of course, I believe he is who he said he was, right? Paul believed it. We believe it. So, so that's why he says that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Then he goes on to say this in, in verses 5 and 6. He says, through him, through this Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. Now that's really important that you notice that he links those two together. What is grace? Well, we say it's the unmerited favor of God. It is the fact that God loves us and forgives our sins even though we don't deserve it. We do nothing to earn it. That's grace. And we love, the, we love talking about grace. We love talking about the forgiveness of sins. We love talking about that God loves us and, and that we don't have to do anything to earn his love. But Paul says that's not all we've received. He says we've also received this thing called apostleship. Now what did I say apostle means? It means someone who's sent. In other words, what Paul is saying is you cannot separate the grace that we've been given from the mission that we've been given. There are a lot of churches that are all about the grace and not so much about the mission. And, and they'll even say things like, well, yeah, no, we're, we're a great church and we have a mission. But I, I would politely uh, argue with that. I would say, no, no, no. I, I love what one Christian writer says. He says, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. In other words, it's the mission that comes first. It's the mission of what we're all about. Paul says that, that he's received grace and apostleship. He's received the unmerited favor of God and the mission of sharing that unmerited favor of God, that love of God with others. And then in verse seven, he says this. 
He, he, he says, now, here's who I'm writing to, and notice he says, I'm writing to all of you who are in Rome. If he was in the south, he'd say, I'm writing to all y'all there in Rome, right? I'm not just writing to the Jews, because the Jews might have said, well, Paul's a rabbi, right? So he's writing to us. He's a fellow Jew. Or the Gentiles might have said, well, wait, I've heard he's the rabbi to the Gentiles, so he's writing to us. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm not writing just to the Packer fans or the Bear fans. I'm writing to all of you. This is to all of you there in Rome. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 8, he does something that you would normally do in a letter in his day. You know, maybe when you went to school, you were taught, here's how you write a letter. You start with a salutation, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, they had a letter form in their day, too, and you would say who you were, who you were writing to, and then you would start with a thanksgiving. So like in, in, back in those days, let's say, you know, I was writing to my cousin Joe uh, to, to tell him how to plant some crops, and I might say, you know, it's me, Mark, writing to you, Joe, and before I talk about the crops, Joe, I just want to say how thankful I am that you're my cousin. You're an awesome dude, man, you know, something like that. Paul does that in all of his letters. He, 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 like, so if you want to have some fun this afternoon, get out your Bible and, and look at every one of Paul's letters, and right near the beginning, you know, you'll find a Thanksgiving. First Thessalonians, there's a Thanksgiving. First Corinthians, there's a Thanksgiving. Second Corinthians, there's a Thanksgiving. Uh, Colossians, there's a Thanksgiving. There's only one of Paul's letters where he doesn't do it. And it's his letter to the Galatians, and he was really, really ticked at them. And so it starts out, you know, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, to the church of Galatia, you foolish Galatians, and then he just kind of lays into them. He forgot all about the Thanksgiving. But, but here, it, he's writing to the church in Rome, and he starts with Thanksgiving, and I want you to notice what he's thankful for. He says that he's, he's thankful through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So literally what he's saying is that church in Rome, they were known throughout the whole world for their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be, right? I want to be the kind of church that is known throughout the whole world for our faith. I want people to know Trinity Lyle, that church, man, they're known for their faith. I don't want to be the church that's known for great music, even though we have it. I, I don't want to be the church that's known for cool technology, even though we have that. I don't know, want to be the church known for the hip 60-year-old pastor, which is what I turned this week, by the way. That's frightening. But, uh, but, but he's, that's not what, I don't want to be known for that. I want to be known as the church that's just faithful, that is full of faith. And that's what he says that they are known for. And notice how he says this in, in, in verse 9 into 10. He says, I always mention you always in my prayers. He says, I'm praying for you guys all the time. And specifically, he says, he's praying that he can come and, and be with them. Um, uh, look, at, look at the next verses, 11 and 12. He, he says, for I long to see you, and, and then this is really interesting. Now, by the way, remember how Paul would have written this letter. He's dictating it to someone who's writing as fast as they can to keep up with him, okay? And, and you'll see this a few times in this letter where Paul says something and then he wishes he had said it differently. He goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let me say that again, okay? Um, and he can't just scratch it out or hit the delete key, Right? So, so here's one of those cases. Notice what he says. He says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he stops himself and he goes, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So, so Paul says, I'm gonna come there so that I can be a blessing to you. And then he catches himself and goes, but I, honestly, actually, you're gonna be just as much a blessing to me as I'm gonna be to you. 
And, and by the way, as someone who's been blessed to be involved in ministry, I've been in ministry since 1980. In one, in one form or another. And I've had a privilege of serving a bunch of churches. I've been, had the privilege of serving here at Trinity since 2001. That's almost 18 years now. And, and I can tell you, I think I've been more blessed by my time here than, than, than you've been blessed. I, I really mean that. This is such an amazing body of believers to be a part of. And it's just been such a privilege for me to be here and be a part of this body of believers together. And that's what Paul is saying. He says he really wants to come to Rome. And the main reason is... He wants to be a blessing to them, and he wants them to be a blessing to him. He, he, he says, um, I, I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you. I think what he's talking about here is this idea that, that he wants to also uh, be able to get some support from them to go on his trip to Spain and do the mission work there. Um, and then he says this, I love, look at this in verse 14. He says, I'm under obligation to both Greeks, and my translation says to barbarians, and then both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. By the way, think about what he just said and how the Romans would have heard that. Paul literally just said to them, I'm supposed to preach to wise and foolish people, so I can't wait to come and talk to you. <laughs> right? It's kind of interesting, right? But then, and this is where we're going to end today with these last two verses, verses 16 and 17, and actually what I want to do is I want to pose two questions to you that I want you to think about and wrestle through before next week, because next week, uh, Tony's going to be here, and he's going to pick up in verse 18 and actually take us into the beginning of chapter 3, and, and there's two things that they're really going to be wrestling with in that section, and, and Paul sets them up both here. In fact, he sets up the, really the whole rest of his letter. Look at what he says. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And what's the gospel again? It's that good news about God's love for us in Jesus Christ, that God wants a relationship with us. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Jew first, and to the Greek, in other words, to all of you there in, in Rome. And then look what he says. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And that's the first question I have for you, the first thing I want you to ponder and think about, what does he mean by the righteousness of God? Because if he means God is righteous and holy and perfect, and by the way, we are not, and somehow we're, as imperfect human beings, supposed to be in a relationship with a righteous, perfect God, if that's what the righteousness of God is all about, it's the thing that we compare ourselves to to see how bad we are, well, then we have a problem. So what is this righteousness of God? He says, uh, he says um, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, and then he says, from faith for faith, my translation says. So what's faith? And what role does faith have in us somehow obtaining this righteousness of God through the gospel? Those are the two questions. What is faith? Is it something we do? Is it something God does in us? How do we get faith? What does faith do for us? What does faith look like in our lives? And what does that have to do with this concept of the righteousness of God, a holy, perfect, righteous God that, that somehow gives that righteousness to us or somehow that, that righteousness relates to us? How does that all work together? Paul says it's really the heart of what the gospel is all about. It's what we need to know and understand. And like I said, we're gonna take a look at that together next week. So right now what I want to do is I want to pray for us, not just for us today, 
But for us as a church family, over these next four months, as we study this book of Romans together, so, so would you do that with me? Let, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this gift of your word. And specifically, Lord, thank you for this letter written by Paul 2,000 years ago, but, but still vital and relevant for us today. Written uh, to a church in Rome those 2,000 years ago, but still relevant and useful and important for us here in Lyle and in Naperville and Chicago today. Lord, thank you for this gift. Thank you for the gift of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us uh, these next months as together we open up the pages of your word and we study it together and we let it speak to us. Lord, speak to us through your word.